Hey guys, so today I'm going to answer some questions that um, that are in response to a couple threads that I posted on Twitter recently. One of them is about the sectors of Web3 that are um, what I consider investment worthy. And then I also posted something about a study that I did looking at the correlation between crypto assets and the US dollar valuation, okay? So for the first part, um, I posted about, you know, a ranking of different sectors. This is, by the way, totally subjective, okay? <laughs> this is not a quantitative exercise. It's just uh, by my my own subjective personal observations of the um, reward to risk ratios among different crypto sectors. And then it goes from low to high, from uh, social community tokens, that will be the lowest reward to risk ratio right now. And then DeFi, and then NFT, and then gaming, play to earn, and then uh, infrastructure tokens such as storage, uh, cross-chain bridges, cross-chain swaps. And then finally, the best reward to risk ratio, I think, are the alternative layer one and layer twos. And the reason this is the best reward to risk ratio is because um, on one hand, it's less volatile compared to individual like projects in gaming or DeFi or whatnot, right? Um, and also the upside is big because if a layer one or layer two can gain traction, it is a platform economy. It has huge network effect. So the upward room is potentially huge. And also these are relatively bigger tokens. Okay, so that means their liquidity and their volume is pretty good in general compared to other individual project tokens. So it's not really, it's it's relatively easier for you to trade if, if you're not like a super whale or something, right? So um, all these considerations together, to me, these are, you know, relatively good reward to risk ratios. And if you look at, you know, the Sortino ratios comparing alternative layer ones, to Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, the ratio is higher for these tokens as well. So the Sortino ratio is basically measuring, you know, your rate of return and divided by your downside risks. Okay, so it's a measure of risk adjusted return. So, uh, so, so that's that thread. And let's look at some questions. First question from uh, JY2. And he says, what do you think about the future of play to earn, any play to earn crypto you're interested in. So I already said in the thread that uh, play to earn right now is relatively lower in my ranking. Okay. Um, why is that? It's not because I don't believe in the future of this model. I, I think it's a very innovative and potentially very um, high potential. It's very promising model of uh, generating economic values. Okay. Um, the problem is we don't have very good games right now. We don't have like a self-sustainable, like organic demand for these games. So I'll give you an a analogy of this. Okay. So essentially the, um, the play to earn that is gaining the so-called traction right now. Um, it, it's gaining traction from two types of uh, clientele. The, the, the first type is, is the people that are playing the games that actually in, in, in the game economy that actually working, right? Those are the, 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 the people in, in, in the Philippines, in, in Indonesia, in countries in Southeast Asia, where, uh, the play to earn 
model is getting the biggest, uh, you know, uh, biggest numbers of eyeballs. So these are typically developing emerging economies where wage rate is relatively low, but uh, population density is high and the job prospect of the population, especially younger population, is relatively not good. Okay, So this is uh, one side of the, per of the clientele. The other side of the clientele is the speculative demand for these tokens from um, countries that actually have money to invest. Those are the advanced economies like US and Europe, and also in Asia, that will be Japan, Korea, China, okay? So essentially, we are, this is a, a game of arbitrage, guys. So it's, it's essentially no different from if you're a foreign investor and you go to Philippines and start a shoe factory, like a Nike or Adidas does that all the time, right? So that is the same game that has been going on for the past 40 years. Globalization is essentially a game of arbitrage. You produce goods and services in countries with low labor costs like the Philippines and India. And then you sell those goods and services to countries that have high consumer demand and has purchasing power like the United States. So, and then as a company, as you know, um, you, 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 you capture that margin in between, right? That's where your value added come from. It's not like, it's, it's not because your productivity is higher or you, your, your, your innovation is so great. It's just the labor arbitrage. And that is the international trade and foreign investment game um, story for the past uh, decades. And this is the same game in the so-called play-to-earn economy, right? It's like uh, you have speculative demand, basically investors pouring money into these tokens from countries that have purchasing power, that have investment money, that have spare changes to invest in speculative assets. And then you have low-wage laborers in developing countries that are actually, you know, the bodies, the participants in these uh, um, the uh, play-to-earn economies that are boosting the number of users um, that make the headline numbers look so great, right? So, uh, but essentially it's not different from if you invest in the shoe factory in the Philippines. Uh, the, the issue with that is that just like any investment, you need to have a return on investment. And that return on investment comes from eventually that your product is actually, you can actually sell your product in countries that have purchasing power. So if you make Nike shoes from the Philippines, you better sell them. You, like people in the United States better be willing to buy those, right? Otherwise you don't have a sustainable business. Um, because you're not expecting, you, you're not expecting the Filipinos to actually buy your shoes. Because that that's is exactly the point of uh, having you know factories in in the Philippines because you have the labor arbitrage, and those countries they're relatively low income, right? So their demand, domestic demand, is relatively weak. There, so they, you're not going. They're not going to sustain your 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 business and and, and buy your shoes. Uh, the whole point of investing there is that those countries, which is by the way also the pretty much the 
whole like uh, Asia uh, like Asia economic growth story of the past decades is to leverage external demand from rich countries in order to grow. Okay, because you domestically don't have that consumer demand, so you kind of produce the goods and services cheaply in your country, and then you in the hope that you will sell them to other countries that will actually you know that 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 have the money to actually buy those products so that in the process you get richer too and hopefully one day eventually once your people and your workers um become rich enough right not the richest but rich enough to actually buy some stuff that will boost your domestic demand and make your domestic economy a more independent and sustainable one that can runs on a healthy equilibrium on its own with relatively less dependence on external demand. But that's really the ideal outcome <laughs> of the, you know, a, a lot of these, uh, you know, export oriented economies. Whether that happened or not, in reality, it depends on a lot of factors. And, uh, um, you know, it's usually a mix, right? It's usually it, some part it works, some part it doesn't. It's just like everything in 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 any human society. So, but 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 that's that's the idea. You're not you, if you're Axie Infinity, like right now, you cannot you know, sustain your business by just having users in in the Philippines. That huge part comes from you know, investors from outside, demand from outside, from countries that actually have purchasing power. So then the question is, is this a good business? So go back to our shoe factory model, like a analogy, right? The, your shoes, if you produce shoes, people in rich countries need to buy those shoes. So if you produce a game, people in rich countries, are they going to buy your game or not? So that that is the <laughs> essentially the, 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 the final judge of uh, whether you have a actual business or you just have a um, it, it, or you just have a project that's going to cost a lot of money from investors in, in rich countries. So I, I think that's essentially the, at the end of the day, the, the, the determinant of uh, whether how sustainable you are. So then if you, in, from that perspective, you look at most of the game economies, um, play to earn projects because the games are not that, not that good, or it's not to the same standard of the actually mainstream market games that are actually popular um, in countries who have that have purchasing power. So you don't you don't really have a you, so 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 your metaverse shoes, <laughs> so to speak, it, it, it doesn't really have a market right now. Okay, so 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 basically you're producing these shoes. And uh, you're showing like headline numbers of uh, so-called user adoption is good, but really it's being boosted by investment inflows into your Filipino uh, game economy um, to to support those players to attract players into the economy. Okay, so um, that is uh, on its own not a sustainable economy. Um, whether it will be sustainable in the future again depends on how good your shoes are and how how in demand your shoes will be um, in markets that actually have purchasing power to buy your shoes. <laughs> so I'm not seeing that yet uh, for the large part. I'm, I'm seeing that. So, so the reason I'm interested in um, and the reason I hold projects like uh, DeFi Kingdom is because I do uh, think 
they are more interesting um you know they have like a more interesting of like game five in like a mechanics compared to um some of the earlier the so-called play to earn games which are pretty um less interesting so to speak <laughs> so um but then you know um a project like DeFi kingdom it has its own issues as well right because uh it's still, you know, it's a uh, it's relatively simple mechanism. It's e like uh, relatively easy to copy, um, and you you've you've already seen quite quite a few copycats of the same concept um, and the same you know style, even in, in even down to the you know graphic style. Um, so 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 really going forward uh you know how successful those can be as is a still a huge question mark um i i still think you know in the long term i um i'm still optimistic um about a project like uh, DeFi kingdom um because i i i think uh you know people running this uh, have uh are good quality people and they will figure something out um, but you know, just uh, from the pure, uh, it, like a pure business economics point of view, right now it's it's not really a you know sustaining entity by itself. And same goes for other play to earn um, economies as well. Um, so that's why I would not rate this category as as a high reward to risk uh, for now. Okay. Um, so next next question from Christian. He asks, "How bear can we go? Do you think there is a scenario where BTC goes bear for 2022, but all layer ones and layer twos like near Luna one and Sol go full tilt?" Um, I don't think so because um, even though the Web three projects that he mentioned, you know, and um, BTC are completely different concepts, right? They're completely different use cases. So in the long term, theoretically, they should not be like bunched together into the same category. They should be decoupled. But right now they're not um, because we are at the still initial stage of, of uh, Web3. And the people just bunch all those things together as crypto. And uh, in terms of the mechanical money flow, um, very clearly, we've talked about this before multiple times, um, the financial flow in crypto is money flow from outside of crypto into crypto to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. And those large cap tokens, they pump, price goes up, people take profits, and then people go, uh, okay, what else can I invest? Uh, how about maybe Solana, maybe Luna? Okay, So that's how you get money flow into alternative layer ones and other smaller tokens. And then there's this so-called that's that's the so-called rotation effect right um that's that's how you see those smaller projects uh, have like a pump pr have pr price pumps m bigger than the larger caps because they are uh, their market caps are smaller so in that sense big, the bitcoin of the world is really the financier of the smaller tokens in crypto so for those tokens to actually do well your 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 BTC needs to hold steady at the minimum, right? So if if BTC has a bear market, um, meaning investors are actually at a loss or are not making money, then there's no money going into, you know, those other projects that 
mentioned in in the question. Now there will be exceptions, right? There's always exceptions. Depends on idiosyncratic like specific characteristics, or maybe some catalyst for individual projects in the short term. Maybe there's some major like token economics changes in the short term that drastically changes the supply and demand,、um, you know, balance of that particular token. That helps pump the price, like you know what you see with Luna,、uh, for example. So that is totally possible. But in general,、um, I don't think the scenario that he mentioned is、uh, is very likely. We're not there yet. Okay. So next question, Evan R. Thoughts on where helium falls here? Okay. So helium,、um, which is like uh, the decentralized uh, uh, internet, right? So、um, I, I would say projects like Helium or Render, or even like Ren or Pocket, these are all considered like infrastructure utility projects.、Um, I would say they fall in the middle. Okay, they're probably more stable than your typical NFT or DeFi project, but they would be less of a reward to risk ratio compared to. That your top layer one, layer two, alternative layer one, and layer twos.、Um, I I I do I, because I again you know looking at、uh, long term,、um, if these projects actually become sustainable in the long term, they do have huge network effects. So so they do have upward upward potential, which is pretty big, right? So um, um, but on the other hand.、Uh, Um, right now, they are still at a stage where it's not really being sustained by organic demand on the on the end user side.、Um, a lot of that passive income.、Um, oh, which actually related to the next question. Next question from Crypto Foon, who's asking, how about utility tokens with passive income? So yeah, so that's exactly what we are talking about. So these tokens, you know, it's more like a. To me, these are more like a long-term bet. But will those have higher risk, higher reward to risk ratio than the alternative layer one, layer twos? I don't think so. And also keep in mind that、uh, you know these are mostly still startup projects, right? So、um, you 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 need to actually take a look at where that passive income comes from, right? So、um, most of these projects they don't have sustainable consumer demand yet. Even though it's infrastructure project, and it's actually you know some of them are very good ideas and very, it it could be a, like a very key pillar of of the industry going forward if they actually you know、um, make it sustainable. But right now, you know projects like Helium or Render or、um, Pocket, their 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 underlying demand from their users is actually quite limited. So the um. The distribution of token you get as a staker or as no runner, or as a hotspot runner, it's、uh, hugely from the、um, token emission, from the inflation、uh, schedule of the token itself, right? So、uh, you 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 gotta make a judgment in terms of、uh, how likely you think these projects are going to actually someday becomes you know sustainable, becomes a.、Uh, uh, Actually, enterprises projects that that、uh, that can actually stand on their own,、um, being sustained by by and、uh, by by end demand from from their users. So that's certainly that's different for for each of the projects, right? Okay. So、um, so 
to me, you know, I I invest in some of these projects because、uh, I, you know, I have、uh, a good positive long term outlook about these. But、um, and also, it, it's it's a way for me to to take profit from other projects from more of a speculative return, right? So、uh, if if I buy a token, some other tokens that you know price run up, and I sell those tokens because I may not have a, you know,、um, I may not have long term conviction in those, and then I I, I put some of the money into into these、uh, you know so called、uh, utility with passive income projects if I. You know, think this is a good project.、Um, so it's 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 a it's basically a way to to take profit and also to to avoid、uh, premature selling <laughs> in 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 the market panic, right? So, but obviously, you know, you don't want to do it with money that you actually need to spend, because、um, because、uh, if you stake those、um, for passive income, there is a unstaking period that's that's actually quite long. It can be quite long for some projects, right? So、um, there's that. And next question from Ang K: What about cross-sector niches like NFT plus DeFi, leverage on the bubble of NF- NFTs while breathing life into the more boring side of DeFi?、Um, so I guess he's he's asking about how what what's the investment pro- prospect of these concepts, NFT plus DeFi. Um, so I I think NFT is definitely in the bigger bubble. It's the sector that's in a bigger bubble, in in in、uh, you know overall compared to other parts of the crypto.、Um, there there are lots of、uh, you know me too copy paste projects that have questionable long term vision, and I have no idea what you know all all, all of those. There there are just too many JPEGs right now. So.、Um, I I think you know I I have no doubt like over the long term we're going to see more use cases from NFTs, but it's just not right now. Not at doesn't look like this this stage is going to be where it's happening. Okay, so um and for DeFi, my view is again it's it's very hard to defend any competitive position in DeFi because that concept the code is just very easily copyable. And、uh, the only defendable, mostly the defendable quality in in DeFi project is liquidity. So、um, if you are a DEX like Uniswap,、um, you have the biggest liquidity, liquidity, and that is a perpetual competitive advantage that you know reinforces itself because everybody go wants to go provide liquidity where existing liquidities are. So、um, that that becomes a competitive advantage. But does that mean you you you're going to that project is going to outperform the overall crypto market? I don't think so,、um, because eventually, you know, I think、uh, a huge part of DeFi and GameFi and、uh, um, you know NFT also included their value accrual.、Uh, a huge part goes to the platform, the layer one and layer two that they run on. So.、Um, In that sense, I I think the underlying platform actually have a better reward to risk ratio. Okay, um. So and I don't think NFT plus DeFi is going to change that fact. All those、uh, downside that I just mentioned. Um. Next question from Mark K. How about decentralized? Oh, how about centralized decentralized plays like OpenSea and Alchemy? Now, I don't think those two have 
tokens. <laughs> they have investors, but if I understand correctly, though, I could be totally wrong. Okay, um, if I understand, those are they went through like a you know venture capital investing investment routes um, instead of uh, you know crowdsourcing funding from token issuance. So I, those, I don't think they have tokens. If they do, uh, I think it will be interesting because it, it, OpenSea in particular, it does, uh, you know, start to have network effect. And uh, I, I, I think, you know, at like right now, you know, a lot of other projects are trying to topple OpenSea. So far, you haven't seen anybody succeed it, right? So, but so far is a pretty short time. Um, so if those have token, I will actually be interested in taking a look. <laughs> but they, I don't think they do. Okay, next question. Jeff, why? Does it make sense to hold the strongest alts such as DPS, FXS, Synapse, or you adopt due, due to riskier atmosphere? I can't do TA, but usually buy and hold long-term BTC ETH. Okay, so I, I think this is related to everything that we just talked about. In fact, you know, I, I don't have, I'm, I'm not going to comment on the specific tokens that he mentioned, though I have, you know, two of those in my portfolio also. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into, you know, commenting on what is the strongest else and what is the weaker else. I think we already discussed those, okay? Um, but, but here's the thing, you know, uh, the, the strongest and the weakest, it, they don't, they don't actually matter that much in the bull market because in the bull market that, you know, the, the, the water rises and they lift all boats and it doesn't matter whether your quality or shitty project, everything pumps, right? So it's a uh, it th this kind of uh, you know look looking at uh, the in the quality of the project the team the vision the execution all that nine years of typical venture investment stuff it's actually not that the payoff is not that much in a bull market because regardless of the fundamentals everything runs everything pumps right. So, so, so that would be a more cynical way to look at this because some people would say, oh, it doesn't matter, right? You don't have to do investment due diligence about these so-called alts because if the market runs, they, those will run anyway, okay? And there is some truth to it. And, and, and what, what it does matter is if you want to hold this, hold these over the long term. That's when it matters, okay? So because then then that's when when the quality of the project, when the team of the project matters is when the bear market hits and most of the shitty projects you know are not going to survive, right? And either their their team will abandon them or they cannot execute or they don't have enough is they just like uh, harder and harder to get traction so that they get abandoned. Um that's why like people get so disillusioned, you know, through previous the alt token cycles that people tell you all oh, the alt don't buy these altcoins because they go to zero. And most of them do because, you know, 
the previous previous uh, several cycles of in crypto investment, you haven't seen like a really strong projects survive, right? That you you haven't seen that many uh, projects survive because most of them are not very. It doesn't. They don't have a good you know product market fit or any kind of a real use cases. So I think this cycle, it's it's uh, it's improving, right? We have more projects that have real use cases that have long-term potentials. So I, I do think doing investment due diligences in you know in in the sense that we have talked about in previous um, podcasts, I, I do think those matter, but they will matter if you are going to actually invest in a more long-term sense. If you in the bear market, those are smaller capital, smaller cap, higher volatility. You, it's it's not likely that those smaller projects uh, are going to outperform BTC or ETH in a in a market like a systemic market downturn. Okay, so your your payoff would would be. Um, more if you you can hold through the downturn and those projects actually survive okay and then and then to next uh, you know market boom or whatnot and that's when your payoff comes that's that's when that due diligence actually has a effect so so my point is doing that due diligence is it's only it only matters for the quality of the project only matters when the push comes to shove when the bear market comes when projects actually need to struggle to survive okay because in the bull market none of this matters so um so so i i think this is the indirect answer to to the question is if you're going to hold those that you consider are strong alts then i would not expect them to outperform the larger caps in a very severe market environment if you're you believe if you believe those are strong projects then you hold them through through the market downturn <laughs> so um and 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 make sure you you don't let the market trick you to to panic sell but i would not expect them to to actually perform better compared to a larger caps in the in the downside in the market down systemic market downside so if you don't think you can hold them through it or if you don't have enough confidence you think they're going to die um then you you know you 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 probably you probably should should, should relocate to 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 the bigger caps so um but but i i hope i get my point um, clear enough already. So, so the point of uh, doing due diligence and holding strong projects is actually holding. Okay. So, because in the bear market, they're not going to outperform. So, um, uh, okay. And 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 in order for those to pump, you know, as we talk about, there is a rotation, constant rotation in, in in crypto in terms of money flows, right? So, you actually need the larger caps to go up first. In order for those, you know, smaller projects, newer projects, to actually go up, so um, that is like a one more reason why in the bear market they were likely to actually underperform. Except, um, but I think the our layer one, layer two will actually do better um, in the risk-adjusted sense. And the next question, okay, so th this is one from Charlene S. This is actually kind of similar. 
is this a good time to get into FXS and OTC, leaving aside, say, for layer ones and more speculative lower caps on, say, a two to three month time frame? Or longer, say, end of the cycle before bear sets in? Okay, so so I I think I already answered this, right? So if you if if this is if we are in a bear market, you you it it just does not make sense. So if you are going to hold those, like I consider like FXS and OTC, I I, I think they are to me they are strong projects. I expect them to survive, um, but I I would not hold those for just two three months in the bear market because, like I said. I, I expect those would actually underperform in the bear market. Um, if you're going to hold those, the point is to hold them longer. So, 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 so that if they are the ones that survive the downturn, and when the next boom comes, they 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 will be likely do much better, right? So that's that's when your payoff comes. So your payoff is not unlikely to come from in in the bear market for those, okay? Um, and uh, also, I don't know what he's what he means about end of this cycle, before bear sets in. So, um, you know, again, depends on your time frame of, uh, you know, what's your definition? How long your time frame is is uh, matters for your definition of, uh, you know, of what a cycle means, right? So, I think we are in a high volatility environment. Um, as I said many times before, but it's getting worse because we have, uh, you know, higher uncertainty in the market. We have the Ukraine war, and you know, you don't know how that's going, how long that's going to play out, and uh, we have a tightening of financial conditions in the market. We have, um, you know, probably more shortage of liquidities, and we have dollar going up. All that is negative news for risk assets as a whole. So. This is a high volatility environment with significant downside risks. That's that's how I would classify the current environment. So my previous assessment is if we start quantitative tightening in the second half of the year, that's when we will see a more serious bear market. Okay. So if we have, like right now, we have the, you know, war in Russia, not in, U sorry, in Ukraine. And then um, we have all the, you know, financial conditions tightening. So that is essentially not totally the same, but kind of a similar effect as uh, raising rates, right? Um, so how does that change the response function of the Federal Reserve and other central banks? We don't know. Or maybe they're going to, um, you know, hold off on the um, on the on the um, selling of uh, asset or on the stoppage of asset purchases, uh, you know, in 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 the hope that uh, that will cushion the the economy somewhat, because uh, you know, with the financial condition tightening, with dollar going up, we are likely to see a recession, right? So, um, but. On the other hand, we have inflation going up, right? Inflation going up a lot. We saw the com commodity prices going up. Uh, inflation in the short term probably go higher. So it's getting into a dangerous situation that if you have inflation high, 
and uh, economic growth low, it's a very thorny situation to be in for the central bank. Because it's like a damn you do, damn you don't. You can't raise rate because you hurt the economy. You can't you can lower rates because you you know exacerbate inflation. So um, what are they going to do? I, I I think you know it's uh, it, it one 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 thing they can do. One strategy they can do is uh, to actually you know forcefully tighten for now. You know, when the economy is actually not that bad, you know, it's not like a, we have a prospect of recession, but it's not set in yet, right? We Maybe another six months to a year's window uh, before we actually have a recession. So um, they could use this window to actually forcefully tighten, to actually clamp down the inflation um, and in conjunction with other, you know, other measures like, you know, price controls, for example. Some countries, like, they already restricted exports, like Indonesia, already res restricted exports of some key commodities uh, in order to stabilize domestic prices. So some of those, like, administrative measures could set in in conjunction with central bank tightening in order to clamp down inflation because central banks don't want inflation to get into, to become the runaway train, right? So, um... So 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 they they will want to be actually um, be be quite forceful. They may want to be quite forceful on this in the short term in order to not prolong the inflation trend into a situation that it's much harder to control. So, but this is my guessing game, right? So, um, if if that happens, it's it's uh, it's bad for uh, you know risk assets, you know any kind of. Uh, Financial conditions tightening, liquidity tightening is, is is bad for the market. So, um, so 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 I I would say you know we we are we are looking at a more and more negative situation for the risk asset market. Um, but if but if if the Ukraine war situation uh, improves, if we reach some kind of agreement, all of a sudden, then. It, it it will be it it would definitely uh you know I, I I see in those situations you will see market pump for sure and and especially the market has been you know really depressed and uh, kind of a you know misaligned with you know, like as, as I said before the kind of uh, you know drop in the SM market it's it's not entirely justified by the actual financial conditions okay. Because it's it's a it's tight it's it's been financial conditions tighter but it's, it's not really that tight yet to justify like a twenty to thirty percent drop in risk assets. So 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 you may see a pump when if the war situation improves if suddenly they re those guys they reach a you know under under some kind of agreement and then uh, if sanction alleviates. And so on and so forth, you will see market recover like a pr pr very pro probably very fast, right? So, but but the thing is that kind of thing, un unless you're an insider, it's very hard for you to predict. You, this, there's no way to tell, right? So there's no way like a there's no way to predict that kind of outcome. So um. So 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 it's very hard to play that kind of scenario. So um, for for me, you know, my baseline is I see this, uh, you know, because of all the negative 
you know, situations that, that we are already in. I expect the volatility to be continued to be huge going forward, okay? um, even though the central bank hasn't uh, made their stance clear. So uh, we may see further downside. And uh, so I, I will have some, you know, ca cash on hand to actually, you know, I, I, I actually buy the market if, if that happens, if we ha have some like a major negative news or we have like a liquidity cascade to the downside, like we saw in March 2020. Um, so, so if you could, you know, have some cash on side, right? So I have a, you know, a, a, a lot, I have a, you know, a large percentage of my portfolio in cash right now. So on the other hand, because the volatility is huge, you could have a certain percentage of your, your, of your portfolio to actually, you know, ride the volatility um, from a more technical point of view, right? Um, to look at, to, to ride the short-term trend, but you probably want to set your, you know, your, your, your stop loss point pretty tightly because again, we are in a pretty unpredictable environment. So um, I would I would set a portion of, of my portfolio to actually you know take advantage of the liquidity depending on you know if you if you are the type of person that actually have some skill set to actually play with the volatility but I wouldn't I wouldn't put a huge position on it and then I I would set aside some cash to actually you know uh, to 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 actually buy the market if if we see a major downside. Um, which is quite possible, I, I, I think. I, but obviously, you know, I, I, I don't know what is the, um, how, you know, how low how low it can go. So, um, so so so. But but if but you know, go back to the question. The even as like the so-called strong alts, they are starter projects in a downturn in a bear market, like market sell-off. I, I don't think those those are definitely not going to outperform. I you know, most likely not not they they probably you know sell off more. Um, the 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 point of holding those is uh, if you actually have conviction of those projects, you hold them through the long term, and uh, hopefully they survive the downturn. If they survive the downturn and they come out the other side relatively intact, then you know eventually we'll have you know, another cycle and uh, market turns up and then, you know, your payoff will, will show up then. Your payoff will not probably in those projects will probably not show up in the short term, right? Unless we have like market pump um, on some kind of uh, good news uh, from negotiations uh, between Russia and Ukraine, or we have some, you know, uh, if if uh, central bank drastically change their position and if they say oh because of the war we're worried about recession so we're not gonna we're not going to stop asset purchases and so on and so forth you know any kind of that major position changes that that will give market a short term boost and then you will see you know major caps pump and then these these alternative um, these all, all tokens pump like. Uh, as as uh, like uh, soon after, so um, so um, but 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 that that would uh, that would not be my baseline, <laughs> okay. So um, yeah. Okay, so 
Okay, I I I think we've already gone on, um, for quite long. Uh, there are some questions about, uh, the relationship between dollar and BTC. Basically, uh, I showed in the thread that if you look at the correlation of uh, you know different asset prices, um, crypto is actually really really negatively correlated with the valuation of dollar proxied by the DXY index. So, um, of course, you know, other asset classes, they're also, you know, correlated, like commodities are negatively correlated with dollar and um, NASDAQ and S&P 500, they're also negatively correlated with, with dollar. But the thing is, crypto is the most tightly negatively correlated with dollar. <laughs> okay. and, I, and I find that interesting. And so why is that, right? So there are some questions that have, uh, you know, uh, people are trying to like provide their own uh, guesses of why that is the case. For me, that that is three things, okay? First of all, it's very simple, the denominator effect. If your um, Bitcoin and Ethereum is denominated, price is denominated in dollar, and if dollar becomes more expensive, if dollar is worth more, and it, essentially, it's like your measuring stick becomes longer, and then the total height being measured is the unit of uh, like being measured by that measuring stick uh, becomes lower, right? When you measure when you change the measuring stick, so so in that sense, when dollar value goes up, then those prices of uh, tokens measured in dollar, their their dollar value. Uh, goes goes down. So that's one level of effect, quite mechanical. The second level of effect is, you know, I as I as we talked about before, when you talk when when dollar goes up, you have a um, tightening of financial conditions because borrowing cost dollar borrowing cost in dollar goes up, and uh, your you know availability of liquidity goes down. So that causes. Um, uh, that causes uh, a negative effect on risk assets um, because uh, those are a lot of those uh, buying positions are in leverage position, right? So that that is a big uh, a big factor. So um, so so that's another reason why dollar up is associated with risk assets down. Um, and and thirdly, also from the commodity angle, you when 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 dollar is up, usually you know. Uh, in in it's a uh, it's associated because it also is related to financial conditions. It's uh, associated with tightening of financial conditions globally, and uh, it may trigger the economy to become weaker or um, become more recessionary. Uh, you know, as as a as a response to to the um, appreciation of dollar, and that in turn will lower the demand for commodities um, and, and, and reduce the price for commodities. So if you think of um, a token like Bitcoin as both a risk asset and a commodity, like a gold, right? Um, then I, I, I think it's reasonable. It's, it's like it's a double whammy, <laughs> right? In fact, so I, I think that that, that would be my uh, baseline hypothesis of why there's such a strong correlation, negative correlation between between dollar value and, and the valuation of crypto. 
So, uh, so basically, it's the effect for risk assets plus the effect for commodities and plus the effect of uh, the dollar, dollar denominator effect adding together. Okay. Um, so that's that. Um, I, I, will, I will link link in the description the article on on the dollar uh, valuation and the and the crypto valuation. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, one more. The last one. What What do you think is more more significant? Uh, this is from Nick R. Um, what do you think is more significant? The decision to freeze Canadian citizen accounts in association with protests or the coordinated financial sanction levied against Russia. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, responding to a comment that I made. I said on Twitter, I said, uh, you know, the, the, the Ukraine-Russia war is actually a pretty significant event to, to, to initiate the next wave of crypto adoption. Okay. So, um, so, so, so I, I think when we look back in, in five to six years time, we, we will see that this event is a, you know, sort of a watershed moment that really instigated, that would really instigate the next stage of crypto adoption, because it, it, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a, it's this kind of event it, it, it really um, make people to rethink the importance of financial sovereignty, right? And it also makes you to realize how fragile the traditional banking rail is for any cross-border transactions when shit hits the fan, right? Um, and, and also how fragile, how susceptible the traditional banking rail is to the whim of any like a centralized authority, whether it's good intentioned or mal intentioned, even if even if it's good intentioned, and it's that kind of uh, action from centralized authority, it has collateral damage, right? So if the U.S. is saying, okay, we're freezing bank account for, uh, we're freezing the access of uh, Russia to 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 the SWIFT system. You know, we are freezing the bank accounts of uh, this and that entities. Well, guess what? Yes, they're, they're, they're probably, they're, they're freezing, they're causing damage to the, the, the entities that probably maybe deserve it in, 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 from their perspective. But, but they also cause damage to, to, to people in Russia and to, in the Ukraine that, you know, has, have nothing to do with any of this, right? So, um, so, so I, I think the whole thing is going to make people, you know, it causes some on, on a fundamental consciousness level, a re-examination of the importance of financial flexibility, sovereignty, and efficiency of our financial banking rails. So all of that are major bullish news. Unfortunately, you know, the, the war situation is very unfortunate, but it is major bullish news for, for, for crypto and Web3. But again, this is not something that's happening in the short term, okay? You're not going to see the short term effect is the opposite because we have risk aversion going up, we have dollar going up, we have financial conditions tightening. 
all of that are bad for risk assets, crypto included. But what I mean is more of a long-term effect. Okay, um, that it will it will push individuals to seek more financial sovereignty. Um, but again, that that is over a period of time. It's not like happening tomorrow, right? And also, um, you know, the whole thing is make me. It's making me think that you know we we are going to see the increased moneyness, you know, money like qualities of all assets is becoming more and more in inevitable because tokenization is giving a lot better liquidity to a lot of these um, you know whatever uh, assets that you can ascribe a value on, so. It used to be the majority of the assets in the world are illiquid, very hard to trade, very hard to manage, to transact. Okay, with tokenization, it becomes easier and easier. So um, we already in the past decades we see a financialization and moneyization, if there is such a word, of some traditional assets like uh, you know U.S. Treasury securities. Those are become like semi-money, right? Because those are liquid, uh, you can use those as collaterals, and so um, and and it has a relatively low holding cost. So more and more, you know, uh, people are treating those almost like money. And with tokenization, with Web three, you're going to see more and more assets being treated that way because they are going to get better liquidity, and they will be able to you'll be able to use those as collaterals, right? Um, and you'll be able to use to use those to actually make exchanges for other things. So I'm trying to think through this, the implication of the increased moneyness of everything that has value. <laughs> okay. um, I think that's going to be a quite interesting world. I don't expect it to be a utopia, but it's going to be interesting. So I'll probably write more about that in the future. Um, because it's it's really fascinating to think about, but anyway, uh, we've gone on for so long, and uh, um, I think uh, uh, we will stop here. Okay, again, this is a podcast, so if you want to listen to this uh, uninterrupted, and uh, you know, go back when you want to be able to go back where you left off, um, go f go find Tasha Labs. On you know Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and so on, right? So and when you're there, leave me a review, okay? That would be much appreciated, okay? Um, that's all for today. I will talk to you later.